0: Deceptions podcast. Hi. If you're a regular listener to Undeceptions, you'll definitely know by now that I released a new book in 2021 called Bullies and Saints: An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History. We're going to be back with season 6 in late February, but until then, I thought you might like this series of short readings from Bullies and Saints. It's kind of a cheat sheet for the book for those who don't want to read the whole thing, and I can respect that. And while you're in a podcast mood, why not take some time to look through our back catalogue of episodes? There are now over 60 episodes for you to get your teeth into over January. So take a look at some of the ones you might have missed. I hope you enjoy. Bullies and Saints. An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History with John Dixon. In the 40s and 50s of the first century, the Apostle Paul conducted what might be the first international aid project in recorded history, collecting donations for the famine-ravaged people of Judea. Hi, I'm John Dixon and welcome to this super series on my new book, Bullies and Saints. Bullies and Saints asks you, the listener, to consider the history of the church in all its glory and infamy and decide how well it's mirrored the original message Jesus handed down. Each episode, I'll give you a free excerpt from the Bullies and Saints audiobook, and in this edition, I'm going to dive into the invention of charity. This is one of the most surprising things about Christian history. Charity didn't exist before the church. Well, sort of. Theresa Morgan is Professor of Greco-Roman History at the University of Oxford. She wrote the standard volume on mainstream ethics in the Roman world. In a 2019 interview, I asked her what she regards as Christianity's most distinctive contribution to ancient life. She said charity. She says, Christians are taught that God loves them absolutely. And that on that basis, they can trust in God, they can love God. And because they are given such an abundance of love, they can afford to love one another with enormous, unreserved generosity. That is a completely different model of relations with your fellow human beings and how your relationship with God affects your relationship with human beings from anything in ancient religious thinking in general, apart from Judaism. It is certainly completely different from anything that is in popular moral consciousness. And with that idea of love goes care of the vulnerable. This is a world with no social safety nets, but Christians create social safety nets. They are the people who are notorious for looking after the widows, the poor, the orphans, the people who in most of society are just slung out onto the street. Professor Morgan notes in passing an important feature of the origins of charity in the Western world. It was Jewish before it was Christian. Passage after passage in the Jewish scriptures, or the Christian Old Testament, calls on the faithful to assist the poor stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Some texts go so far as to suggest that the excess of the haves actually belongs to the have-nots by divine right. And there is clear evidence from the Roman period that Jews looked after one another so effectively that, quote, no Jew ever has to beg, as one emperor put it. Jesus and the first Christians were all Jews. Caring for the poor was assumed. Yet as with so many other things, Jesus intensified or universalized Jewish practice. In his provocative parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10 verses 30 to 37, he tells how a Jewish man was robbed and left for dead on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, an ancient road still visible and walkable today. A temple priest walks past, unwilling to assist. A Levite, a priestly assistant, does the same. Then a Samaritan turns up. He stops and cares for the man, He bandages his wounds, pays for lodgings in a local inn, and returns later to check on the patient and to pay for any further expenses. Today, the proverbial Good Samaritan is known for similar acts of charity. But the key to the story in Jesus' day is that Samaritans were the ethno-religious enemies of the Jewish people. By making a Samaritan, not a fellow Jew, the hero of his parable... Jesus was simultaneously critiquing his own people for not living up to God's commands and insisting that compassion must be shown across ethnic and religious boundaries. He ends the parable with a stark, go and do likewise. Christians did go and do likewise. They took the Jewish tradition of charity and showered it on Jew and pagan, believer and unbeliever alike, consider the following pieces of evidence from these early centuries. In the 40s and 50s of the first century, the Apostle Paul conducted what might be the first international aid project in recorded history, collecting donations from non-Jewish Christians in Greece and Asia Minor, or Turkey, for the famine-ravaged people of Judea. The great apostle Peter had earlier urged Paul, as he launched out on his empire-wide mission, to please remember the poor, Galatians 2.10. Paul did just that. Some of his most beautiful teachings remind Christians in wealthier regions of what drives charity. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty... You might become rich. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 and 13. Again, we can see the beautiful tune at play. Christ's sacrificial love for us inspires practical love for others. The Apostle John makes an almost identical point toward the end of the first century. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? 1 John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. The earliest Christian description of a church service after the New Testament era comes from the famed public advocate for the faith, Justin Martyr, AD 100 to 165. He outlines the five regular elements of the meeting, readings from the writings of the apostles, instruction from a designated leader, a thanksgiving meal of bread and wine, public prayers, and finally, a collection of... For orphans and widows and those who, through sickness or any other cause, are in want and those who are in bonds. In approximately the same period, we catch a glimpse of the kind of exhortation Christian leaders gave to the wealthy in their churches. The Shepherd of Hermas, composed in Rome around the year 150, declares, Instead of fields, buy souls. That are in distress, as anyone is able, and visit widows and orphans, and do not neglect them, and spend your wealth and all your possessions which you have received from God on fields and houses of this kind. By the year 250, long before Christianity's official legal acceptance, the church in Rome was doing its best to support an extraordinary number of impoverished people on a daily food roster. A letter from Bishop Cornelius of Rome to a church official in faraway Antioch mentions in passing the various ministers and activities of the church, including, quote, 46 presbyters, that's priests or teachers, 7 deacons, and so on, and then above 1,500 widows and persons in distress, all of whom are supported by the grace and loving kindness of the Master. 1,500 people in a welfare program is a body of people equal to the largest artisan associations in Rome. Christians continued these programs in the most difficult of circumstances, Around the same time, middle of the third century, a pandemic hit the Mediterranean world that ravaged cities for a decade. Historians call it the Cyprian Plague, named after the Christian bishop of Carthage in North Africa, whose writings provide our clearest first hand evidence of the nature of the disease. I quote The bowels, relaxed in constant flux, discharge the bodily strength. Cyprian writes at the outbreak of the pandemic in AD 252. A fire, originated in the marrow, ferments into wounds. The intestines are shaken with a continual vomiting. The eyes are on fire with the injected blood. You get the idea. Some have speculated that Cyprian is describing a filovirus, such as Ebola. Whatever the medical details of the Cyprian plague, we have confronting evidence that Christians at the time felt duty bound to care for the sick. Often, families abandoned their loved ones at the first sign of sickness. They might not have understood infection control, but they certainly knew that contact with the sick meant almost certain death. A letter from the same time over in Alexandria, on the Mediterranean coast of Egypt, grimly reports the panic that filled the city when the plague hit. Those who were in the first stage of the disease, they would thrust away and fled from their dearest. They would even cast them in the roads half-dead and treat the unburied corpses as vile refuse in their attempts to avoid the spreading and contagion. The letter was written by the Alexandrian bishop Dionysius, AD 200-264. He praises those Christians, certainly not all Christians, who overcame their fears and followed the way of Christ in the pandemic. I quote, Our brethren, for the most part, were careless of themselves and with exceeding love and filial kindness clung to one another, visiting the sick without regard to the danger, diligently ministering to them, tending to them in Christ. Being infected with the disease from others, they drew upon themselves the sickness of their neighbours, willingly taking over their pains. In this manner, the best, at any rate, of our brethren departed this life, including certain presbyters and deacons and some of the laity. As our world passes through its own pandemic, I'm recording this in early 2021, I certainly don't endorse Dionysius' rejection of social distancing measures, which to my mind are an essential aspect of care. Nevertheless, there is something heroic, if naive, in what he reports. It seems that 200 years after Jesus, Christians were still reading the parable of the Good Samaritan, which also contains a reference to washing wounds and carrying the injured, and heeding its call to do likewise. Thanks for listening to this excerpt from my new book, Bullies and Saints. Click over to Amazon.com where you can pick up a copy of the full audiobook or a print copy if you like the feel of paper in your hand like I do. And if you've enjoyed the content, let me encourage you to go to the Underceptions website where you'll find much more like it, including my Underceptions podcast. That's underceptions.com. See ya. perceptions podcast